light. I want to, it comes from this passage, and, and it's, it's in a series that we've been speaking called The Threads of Redemption. And the reason this passage is significant is because it's coming from a man named Isaiah who doesn't see any hope on the horizon, but all he has is a promise. As a matter of fact, he's promised that a king's going to come one day and he's going he's to be a different king than the, than the Israel has ever seen. The one he's currently serving is actually going to execute him. But God gives him hope to give to the future generations which comes to us. You've got to hear this passage. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. We can all relate to this. Because I don't know where you were when you saw the great light, but most times it's not in the easiest place. It's in a hard place. For me, I was in great darkness when I saw a great light. He says, those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, meaning not just those who've had a glimpse of the light, meaning the people of Israel, but those who are beyond Israel, Gentiles, beyond beyond the walls of Europe, the world, all over, in maybe deep darkness, meaning they didn't have any revelation of who our God is. They're going to see a light. And then it says, you have multiplied the nations, meaning it goes beyond our nation to many this light. And you have increased its joy. They have rejoiced before you as, the, as if the joy of a harvest. We, we, we don't understand harvest time, but if we were in a culture that it mattered on how harvest time was, whether we lived or died, he means that, oh, my harvest has come. This is what Christmas is, the celebration that we have a future, the celebration that we have joy, the celebration that you have life. That's what we're doing. So in this message, a great light coming from that statement from Isaiah, that's where we're going to focus. You know, when I, when I was um, 27 years old, I had my first child. And I'll tell you what, there is, there is you who lived your life. If you do not have children yet, I understand if you've had children, you, you will relate or one day you will. You are, there's you before children, which is I get up when I want to. I do what I want to. I'll never forget the days when I would wake up and say, huh, Ryan, what time do you want to wake up and what do you want to do? Do you remember these days, parents? Yes. It was, and you would think about it when you had kids of like, well, you have two things you think about. A, I remember what it used to be like when I would wake up and just think about myself. Or B, when they move out of the house, I will return to thinking about myself. Beautiful thoughts that you have while you're raising children. In the process of having our first child when Anna was pregnant, it's this anticipation. You all maybe who have had children remember this, this anticipation over the nine-month period that prepares your heart for a life change. And it just felt like as, it was, as we were getting closer, we knew our life was going to change, but you had no idea how it was going to change. You didn't know what it was going to do to your heart, how it was going to change your entire thought on the world. But we were driving on our way. It was time to go. And that's a nerve-wracking time for every person who is driving your spouse or someone to the hospital because you're like, please, dear God, do not let this baby be born here because I will pass out if I have to deliver the baby. That's my thought. So like, we got to get there fast. And I remember on the way, (laughs) 
And this is, um, if, you're, if you're a husband and you want to be better in life, just do the opposite of what I do. I'm just going to tell you right now. So every guy thinks he can relate to a girl in childbirth. This is a huge mistake. So as we're going, Anna's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. This is like horrible. And I'm watching it. It looks terrible. And, and to, to comfort Anna, I was like, hey, listen, you got to calm down. Never say calm down. And then she's like, what do you mean, Colin? No, you don't understand. I was like, no, I do understand, Anna. I do understand childbirth. I was like, when I was in sixth grade, I broke my collarbone and it hurt. Like, this was bad. Bad, bad, bad. So we get to the hospital and as we see our son for the first time, it's weird. It, it, your life instantly changes. You think of the world differently. You think of yourself differently. You now have a, a, a different purpose, I guess, in life, and it changes everything you do from then forward. That's what happens when you bring something new into your life like a child. Mary and Joseph had this experience. I say this childbirth experience because this is, in a way, what happens when Christ comes into your life. Things change in your life. You no longer were who you were. And Mary and Joseph had this moment when they're bringing Jesus into this world. And they're going to be radically changed. Mary had no idea, no idea that from this moment, this little moment for where she didn't want to have a child being born in a trough, that one day would end up here at this moment. She had no idea. I can't imagine what that must have been like when she experienced that as a mother. But Christ came more than just the manger. He came for, for bigger purposes. This was the purpose that he came into their life and he changed all of our lives. Not just Joseph and Mary. You know, when um, we read the birth narrative, it, it's, we have to look past, if we really want to get the meaning of it, you've got to look past the manger. Even though it's significant that this is when Christ arrived, this is when God became flesh. But we've got to see it beyond that, that heaven at this moment has come to earth. And this was the moment that everybody seemed to have missed. I don't know why. I think I would have missed it myself. I can't act like I would have been any different, seeing that how could this baby being born in this way, and this regular person, he just builds tables. How could he transform the world, and how could this be God from what my expectations are? You know, I found this little list. It's in the NIV, and Israel would always try to describe God when they would experience God. And so they started giving God all these names. And these are probably not even a complete list, but this is what that commentary offered, which was all the places where they tried to say, okay, God is a God most high, or he's uh, mighty in battle, or he's strong and mighty, he'll provide, right? Or he's our savior, or God, the, the one who will, who will um, increase your life. They tried to find it, you know, the God above all gods, and they tried to give these different names to this God who was not to be named. But they didn't, they're looking for him in, in, in moments and occasions like when 
God delivered Israel from uh, slavery in Egypt and the miraculous things that happened. Or the God that gave Samson his strength to do what he did. Or the God who guided David's rock that changed the course of history. Or the God that shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel. They're thinking this is going to be the God that they're going to see. And then so when he comes here, he comes in a way that they never thought. I would hate for us on Christmas to be caught up in all the things that aren't really what Christ is about and miss it like most of Israel missed it, that this great light has come to the world. I would hate for us to walk out and have a different meaning or tone about what Christmas should be. Jesus came for you. He came to be light for you. Your life is different because of him. And if you haven't experienced him yet, he will transform your life completely. A great light comes into your world. John, he wrote the fourth gospel. It's not one people read on Christmas usually, but I thought, why not? I'm going to read it because nobody else does. So John has this prologue into his gospel. When you read the book of John, it, you, you, you will get a very clear picture of the history of Christ, his life, his journey. But John doesn't want to let us discover it as we go, starting from the narrative. John wants everybody to realize what, when this moment happens, how significant it is and what a God we serve when that moment happens. And so he takes us way back. He does this thing where he pulls us all the way back into history and time. And so listen to this. If you're maybe hearing this maybe for the first time, maybe what I hope you hear is how much God loves you that he would send his son or will read the word to come save you. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's, I've always thought that was a weird thing, the Word. Like, but in the beginning, the Word in this language means div, a div, it's the divine reason for all the, in all the cosmos. It's the purpose behind the cosmos. You could almost say the heart behind the cosmos. The Greeks thought that there was no meaning behind it, really. But Jesus, what John does is changes, I think, history. And that, that, no, 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 the word, the logos, it has purpose and meaning. So when God spoke, right, and became flesh, he brought and displayed what the whole meaning of everything was, which is love, grace, forgiveness. And so John's talking about Jesus' divinity. He wants us to understand that first. And he says, the word was with God and the word was God. And in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. So he is setting the tone that this manger moment was the God who created the universe is now coming for his people. It said, in, the, in him was darkness, and the life was the light of men. Okay, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man, he's talking about John the Baptist, and he came to bear witness about the light that all, all, and we have to remember this, 
that he didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for those who were the do-gooders. It's why it destroys the idea of like my moral righteousness. He came for all to believe in him. He was not the light, John the Baptist, but he came to bear witness to the light. Now verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, Jesus, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, and came to, uh, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The creator comes to the world, and the world kills him for it. The creator comes to the world and the very things he has created, they're fashioning them to nail him to. The creator comes. But if you've ever wondered, does God love me? Why would God care? What's the purpose behind the world and the universe? This is what John is trying to say. There's more than what you know. And he came in this person of Jesus. You know, in verse 12, it goes on to say, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. And who were born, not of blood, not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 2 Corinthians 5, if you go and read it, they're starting to unpack what John is talking about. That Jesus came as the creator. He was there in the beginning and he, through him, all things were created, now made you a new creation. The creator is still at work in you. And I think sometimes we, it's hard to grasp, like, wait a minute, like, I get up in the morning, you should see me when I look in the mirror, I don't feel like a new creation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I don't feel like, how can I go around thinking I'm a new creation? But remember, you were born of spirit, made of spirit. And so God had created you anew. He has positioned your heart towards him. And you have the spirit within you to continue to walk towards him in your new creation. I think we get so caught up in our identity and other things when Jesus has said, I've made you to be something new. Now live out of that something new. Stop trying to be these other things. He made you new. But even as children of God, I love the concept of adoption the Israelites at that time didn't have really a big principle of adoption. So John's appealing to people who would understand it like the Romans. The Romans were famously known for adopting and giving, looking for heirs. And so many emperors had done this, but they would pass their title, their authority, their position, everything they had, their name to this adopted child who wasn't even theirs. So when John is saying this, it's, it's a power that hits them maybe more than it hits us now. But it was very common then. And it was significant to be brought in because it meant your whole life would change under this adopted parent. We are adopted. You have been brought in as God's children. It should boost our confidence in who he is. Verse 14, if you want to know what John is wanting us to do before we read the rest of the book of John, he does it with 14, and he will unpack it the rest of the book. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. This is this moment right here. And we have seen his glory. John's saying, I've seen it. 
like Moses saw God in, 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 at the burning bush. I saw the glory in front of me on the cross. John was here, the only one. I saw his glory. The glory of the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has become this light and shines to all the world and it pushes back the darkness. You can't tell me you don't have a story where you've experienced this, where the light in you has pushed back the darkness. I was reading about this uh, Lake Superior. If you don't know where it's at, it's, it's up around Michigan. It's one of the great lakes. Visiting it, it's really a strange lake. It's black. It's dark. It's, it feels eerie, you know what I mean, in a way. And when you're up there, I didn't realize this, but some of the biggest waves on the Great Lakes are up at Superior. And they would have storms up, at, up in excess of 20-foot-plus waves that would destroy boats and capsize them, kill people. And so for a long period of time, when they're trying to ship, do shipping through there, they would have these massive storms that would wipe out all these boats. One storm in particular changed everything. And it had sank 29 ships, killed tons and tons of people. And they realized we've got to do something about it. So they put up this lighthouse. So Chad, put this lighthouse up. This is Split Rock Lighthouse. And this one lighthouse, and they put in a little bit of a new technology, and people could see the lighthouse, the beam from 22 miles away. And the moment they put that lighthouse in, they never lost another ship because people had a light to look to. And when they were in those storms, they had light that they could see. And it would guide them into a safe harbor. This is our life. This is what the hope of Christ does. He's the beacon, the light that we are looking to, that we come into safe harbor. You will encounter people who are in turmoil and like a horrible storm, like a hurricane in their life. And they're looking It's not that they're not looking. They're lost out there. And they need to see light. And that's our purpose as believers is to help them. It's a signal to weary travelers, all of them looking for safe harbor. I wrote this a few examples down, but for some, some of you saw the light when you were young. And you had that privilege. It was a beautiful gift that someone had influenced you in your life that pointed you to the light. And some of us, it it was in a difficult season when it was really, really tough and it was really dark and we saw light and we went to the light. Some of us, we were in rehab and that's where we found and saw the light in a place where we thought, I can never, ever change, but you did. It could be through a friendship who pointed you towards the light. It could be after the death of a parent and you thought, I have to think bigger things. I have bigger questions. I need more answers. And so you found the light. Everything, for some people, everything was great. You have everything, but you feel nothing. And then you realize there must be more. And so you saw the light. I could go on and on where you feel alone or when you you found the light or when you felt like I might not want to live anymore and you found the light. Even some of us late in our life found the light. A lot of us are out there just like those storms on Lake Superior. And we've been searching and we've been looking and it's been dark and we can't see the the coast. And then here comes the light. That's 
what we're called to be, beacons of light for people. Someone was that for you. Let's do that for others. It's, it's, it, it all began in the manger, yes, but you, know, you have to think about the character and the quality of Jesus. And this is what I want to stress before I start to close. Jesus is a beautiful example. And if, you, if John's doing is saying, listen, the Jesus I'm going to tell you about, this is, a, this is a different Jesus than you would think, a different God in flesh. Because this Jesus doesn't just come to boast about himself or to puff himself up. This Jesus is constantly doing what everybody hates, right? He's hanging out with people and spending time with people nobody wants to be around. He's spending time with people who are sick, not well. He is elevating people who have been oppressed historically. Jesus is constantly in these places, and this is why he ends up being delivered up to the great power of Rome to be nailed to the cross, because God shouldn't operate that way. So you cannot be God. But the story of Jesus shows us this is what believers do. This is what people of God do. Our God does that and did that. This is how we need to be. He was born into poverty. You, you do not have to be somebody to be somebody to God. He was, he had no, he was from a no-name place, a, a podunk town. Nobody cared about. He spent his time with the down and outs. That's the God you serve. That's what we're celebrating today. And it's inspirational to remember that when we light our candles today at the end of service, that candle is, is just a, a picture to remind you that how much light spreads when you pass it to another. You can think of right now a few people that you will probably encounter this Christmas who are lost at sea and they're floating around and they're just looking for light. God's called you to be that. It's a great gift that we get to labor with Jesus. Even in Jesus' last breath while he's on the cross, this will tell you God's heart for people. As he's been betrayed by his friends and he's being crucified by a power that laughs and he's been uh, handed over by the people he came to first reach and is being mocked and spit at and everybody's left him. His very last thing he wanted was to bring someone else with him who was on the cross, another cross, and to finish it. And to drink fully of the wrath for our sins on that cross. And he did it. That's the God we serve. That's what Christmas is all about, was the beginning of that moment right there. So can you guys bow your heads? The greatest honor that you could ever give, if you want to give Jesus a thank you, is to take that light and be a beacon to someone else. That's the greatest gift you could give. Like a, like a proud father, if you were to display an attribute that that father wanted for you, and you displayed it, and they modeled it for you, the greatest thing you could do to your parent, to your father, would be to then act in the same kind of character. They don't need a thank you. They don't need any. They just love seeing you in that character and acting that way. When Jesus gave you light, 
and said, follow me, pick up your cross, and let's go. He's asking you, be a light, be a light, be a light. So what is Christmas about? Christmas is about being a light. You will be in places and situations in the next week that you will have to be challenged to continue to be a light. Do not cover it up. Let it shine. Because there's someone who's been in rough waters who is looking for a beacon of light and you can point them to Jesus. I promise you. You help bring them into safe harbor. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing this last song. Some of our elders are going to begin this light process, but just watch it expand and go and go and go and go. That's the impact of light and it pushes back darkness and it illuminates your life. So God, we thank you so much. We ask that in this time of reflection, we think about you. We think about this manger moment to the cross moment. We think about how much you loved us so deeply that the God who has purpose for the whole universe, it's love, it's forgiveness, and it's family. And so God, I ask that you then just remind us as we go out to be a light in the world, to be a beacon like that little lighthouse that saves so many. That's your saving power through us, passing it along. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this last song?